Join us at our annual conferences in London, Florida and Sydney to learn everything you need to know about ITAM in the cloud era. For more details, head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast. My name is Martin Thompson from the ITAM Review um, and I'm very pleased to welcome um, Steve Davison onto the ITAM Review Podcast. Um, Steve is probably one of my oldest contacts and, and that doesn't sound very polite um steve is not that i'm sure there's a better way i'm not an oap no um not that there's anything wrong with the oaps um but no. um steve is um i uh, met very 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 early on in my itam career uh, and we were discussing just before the recording that um, I think that might have been at CA, CA Computer Associates, as yeah. they were then, were a fast member. Yeah. Um, and I think we might have met then. And then I went over to a company called, um, with Robbie Richmond called Enzyme Consulting. And we were definitely talking then. And the Enzyme Consulting went on to become um, Easy Sam, as we know it now in the UK. Um, so welcome, Steve. Um, Thanks, Martin. Um, so you started at... Um, Fast, the Federation Against Software Theft, which is uh, that's probably at least one podcast in itself talking about Fast and what they yeah. what they've done and what they haven't done. Um, could you t- could you introduce yourself? Um, who are you? Uh, what do you do? And how did you get started in the in the sound space? My God, right? Okay, let's try and keep that under twenty seconds, shall we? Well, yeah. Hi, Martin. Thanks for having me on. Um, I think it's about 19 or 20 years ago that we met at one of those um, fast conferences. So um, we probably are one of the uh, the oldest pairs in the sound industry right now, which is either a good thing or a bad thing. But yeah, so um, I, I head up Infoware, managing director of Infoware. We set Infoware up, uh, I don't know, 10, 10 years ago. Um, I got into the industry. Um, Possibly the same as you. I kind of fell into it. There was there was a role going at the Federation Against Software Theft where um, they were looking to create a, a new program of work which was much more aligned and focused to helping corporate organisations understand what software they had, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, rather than just working for the software publishers. So I was that young whippersnapper that went out to hundreds of IT managers that had been forced to join fast not knowing a great deal about IT at the time, I should add, um, and trying to help them get from A to B. Um, and that's literally that's literally how I got into software asset management. But at the time, and you'll know this just as much as me, the term software asset management wasn't there. It wasn't applicable. It was really, are you running licensed software or not? And I think the term sound only came about maybe some 10, 12 years ago, I think. And the... Um, fast are infamous for making um, uh, screw ups, basically in terms of blurring commercial lines. And but at one point they were 
um, taken very seriously in terms of a methodology for doing SAM, weren't they? They were you you got on this railroad, and if you followed what they yeah. did and you went through bronze, silver, gold, then that was a that was a way to go, wasn't it? It was taken very seriously. It was very popular at one point. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was the only. So in 98 or 99, uh, myself and one or two other individuals at FAST um, created like the certification. And it was actually very basic. You know, it was, have you got some policies? Have you got some procedures that, that document how you control software coming into the business, how it moves around, how it exits? Um, and then can you back up those policies by implementing some form of technology that allows you to visibly see what you've got and, and, and if it's um, licensed properly or not. And that was actually, that was the mainstay for a number of years. It was, it was used throughout UK and, and Europe in, in small, medium and enterprise businesses. And I think it was maybe early 2000s that um, uh, ITIL looked at uh, what FAST were doing and said, you know, actually we should be doing something in this space because it's it's a really important area and organisations uh, need to have some level of control within their IT space in terms of how they manage their software and hardware. So And, and that's how it kind of took off then, you know, ITIL, ITIL grabbed hold of it um, along with ISO. Right. And you um, will come on to some really exciting stuff that you're working on at the moment, which is primarily why I've got you on the podcast, because I think you've, you're doing some really exciting stuff in the SAM space, next generation stuff. But can we yeah. dig into um, Infraware? So what do Infraware do that for people that haven't heard it? And what's your core business? And, and where did that start? Right. OK, so um, Infraware is an independent software asset management consultancy and service business. That's it, put very simply. Um, the reason I set Infraware up was because I had been involved in creating the standards for FAST, for V3 SAM ITIL. Um, I was one of those consultants that would go out and, and, and sit down with organizations for months and draft out uh, SAM systems and, and, and run through POCs for technology and produce processes. I'd leave them, I'd come back six to 12 months later and um, they would be stuck, if you like. So there was a, there was a growing awareness um, around 2004 through to 2008 that actually organisations um, required external assistance, either in the form of an ongoing managed service that's either on-premise or off, or some form of verification check in terms of how they're managing their software. So that's when I just decided to um, to set up Infraware and, and to help organizations run reviews on Oracle, IBM or Microsoft, work on policies and procedures. Um, and we've just, we've, we've taken it um, from there over the past six or seven years. Well, it's been a very interesting and challenging time for an independent, independent software asset management specialist. The term there is we don't sell software. We don't resell software. So we don't have those ongoing relationships um, that maybe resellers might have with um, with their clients. So um, and because we've had cloud kind of coming in quickly, then slowing down, then quickly again, there's been some fairly dramatic changes around the software asset management industry, which are all good actually. But for us as an organisation, um, it's it's definitely been an interesting time over the past two or three, maybe four years actually, where we've had to diversify and change what we do just to keep up with the times. And can you, I don't even know if this is a topic you want to discuss on this podcast, but is are you able to share your 
relationship with Microsoft and how that's changed over the years? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, so uh, we didn't really have a relationship with with any of the publishers um, until maybe 2011, 2012, um, because we were constantly doing audit defense work or, or um, it, it, how do you say, audit readiness, if you like, which I think is quite a popular term nowadays. So we were busy doing that. Microsoft approached us um, because they had a, a, a global program of work in place where rather than using some of the big four to perform um, audits, uh, they wanted to uh, mature the SAM market both in the reseller space and then also help grow the independent channel. So they were running a, a program. Um, we started in the UK and um, we were very lucky in so much as we were doing the right things and, and, and Microsoft kind of picked us up and we got pushed Canada, North America, Denmark, Sweden, France. So we've been doing um, work for Microsoft over the past four or five years on the uh, Microsoft licensing review space, um, but then also uh, in process creation, supporting some of their cloud or SPLA-based contracts, um, and then where they may maybe have large organizations that need really in-depth process design, uh, that are multi-layered and can link up with other um, applications or publishers. We've, we've spent a lot of time in that space. And more recently, uh, which I'm quite excited about, is the, the Managed Service Program, uh, which launched uh, at the beginning of May. And um, it's actually a very proactive thing for any software publisher to do, because actually what they're doing is they are putting their audit methodology out there for everyone to see. Um, and, uh, you know, you talked about other days for other podcasts, audit methodology is probably one of those um, subjects for, for, for another day. But it's actually very positive for Microsoft to be doing um, the management. What, what is this, for those of the listeners that are not familiar with that concept, what are Microsoft doing with managed service providers and why are they doing it? Well, if we take a step back and you look at, and I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to generalize here, but if you take a step back, you look at most publishers, um, they work on the premise that they provide their intellectual property to an end user, uh, it's done on a trust basis because ultimately that end user can either deploy the software on purpose and not pay for it, or they can deploy it accidentally and not quite understand how they're using it in line with the T's and C's. Um, so ultimately, a software publisher will want to try and understand um, what an organization is doing in terms of usage. Now, historically and currently for most software publishers, there are either random license reviews or there are very formal compliance reviews uh, where it can potentially verge on the side of a legal activity rather than mediation. So Microsoft has kind of been in, you know, they've, they've it's a that shoe, the same as the other software publishers. But what Microsoft has decided to do is to say, well, yeah, actually, this isn't really conducive to a, um, a collaborative type conversation. So what we want to do is we want to take a number of organizations globally that we recognize have a number of standards uh, that we wish to achieve in terms of best practice um, and management. We will audit their processes using PwC or, or, or other, and then they will be allowed to work uh, with organizations, our customers, to help them manage their software 
and and to report back accurately and to have controls and mechanisms in place that um, benefit the end user, not just on Microsoft but on on other publishers. So effectively, they're they're kind of sh they're, they're sharing their audit methodology. You know how how is the end user expected to manage uh, a software publisher's intellectual property? And you know, you and I and your listeners will know that there are not many software publishers that share how to manage and audit their software. You know, if if you look in the industry, there's there's no manual that shows you how to audit a specific publisher. Not not one that I've seen just, anyway. Just just I've got that right in my head. So uh, Microsoft will, using PwC or somebody like that, they will bless a partner that says, if you're using this partner for a managed service, then you're probably uh, or certainly doing SAM to an agreed level accepted by Microsoft for, for audit readiness. Is that is that what is that is that what the gist of it? Ultimately, yeah. And it, it, it's being done that way because if, if you look at your typical organization nowadays, it, it's not just the complexity of the licensing terms and conditions, it's the complexity of that IT estate and the fact that, yeah, especially with virtualization, voids, internet of things, digitization, organizations are in a constant form of transformation. So to have the right audit methodology and to keep up with that and to do it yourself is almost impossible. So if you have some form of um, process and rubber stamping of an audit methodology that comes directly from a software publisher, it takes all of the second guessing out of the work. So we're yet to look at all of all of the details and the T's and C's and get our side up and running. Um, but we've, we worked with, with Microsoft and the pilot last year, along with a couple of other uh, very reputable resellers um and one or two independents i think uh, similar to us and it, it went through well um i think corporate liked the idea of it so it's being launched globally and um all, all eyes are on it on it at the moment i think it's a very positive thing and i'm hoping that other software publishers will do it because it it takes the guesswork um out of it and procurement what what if, if i want to do it thing, I think. what if i want to do it myself though what if I don't need a managed service provider, but I still want to know what Microsoft are looking for to be audit ready? Can I consult my, one. Microsoft directly? I think you should be able to. And, and, and um, I actually, if you put the managed service to one side, and, and this, is a, this is a massive bugbear of mine. Um, so where you are very passionate about clear terms and conditions within a set of uh, licensing modules or contracts, um, and you've got a campaign running for that. I'm also really passionate about software publishers sharing their audit methodology. Whether you're in their managed service scheme or not, you should be able to go to a software publisher and say, right, okay, so look, this is what we do from a, a process perspective in terms of um, managing day-to-day. -day. This is what we do for audit methodology for your specific application portfolio. Are you happy with this? And almost get it rubber stamped that way or get some form of confirmation back from a publisher so yeah you're right Martin. I, I, I think um, if you and we do this now outside of the managed service we've got one or two clients where we take everything that they do in terms of ITIL and best practices process we take the audit methodology and we take it literally in a hard case file to the account teams uh, within that sub or country and say this is what one of our clients is doing are you happy with this 
So if you do at some point want to audit them or, or, or engage with them on that specific area, this is documented. You've already said that you're happy with their approaching. Because actually, and I don't want to harp on too much on this subject, but if you try and work on an audit methodology with software publisher proactively, and they then want to ignore that and come to you in six months and ask you to do it a different way, um, you're more than entitled to say no. And a lot of people miss out on that. A, a, a lot of people leave it to procurement teams to to, um, to play aggressively. Um, but actually, you, you don't need to take that approach. You just need to look at the audit methodology because that that's where the issues and the remedies normally sit. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, 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 you're right, you're right. I mean, 99% of our readers, um, they want, they're happy to pay the money. They want a fair price, but they want it, they're happy to pay the money. They just want clarity over what they're supposed to be doing. And that's that's what's yeah. missing. So anything that any vendor can do to clarify things is, is a good thing. Um, so so when, when is all of this, when is all of this live? When, 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 when is this being pushed out? Because I know it's been sort of boiling as a pilot for at least a couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Um, and uh, I think rightly so, Microsoft, I can't speak for them, but wanted to approach it carefully. There's many things to consider. Um, but it, it launched with ourselves and two other um, partners in the UK for Europe um, and three other partners in North, North America. I launched on the 1st of May, actually. Um, but it's still, with, you know, it's just with the three three organizations in North America and the three, three organizations in Europe. Uh, I think we're working on it for maybe the next six months, maybe nine months with our clients, providing some more feedback in a live status. And then I think, I hope, I actually have I mean, competition everywhere, it's definitely good for the market. I hope that it will then be opened up and you'll have um, other organizations um, that provide some services that can jump into this space and, and um, offer that um, maybe peace of mind, if you like, uh, to an organization that, you know, what they're working to is, is rubber stamped by Microsoft. Because I will say, um, you know, although we have a practice of going to the publishers and asking them to rubber stamp our audit methodology for our clients, that doesn't always happen, but as a default, that client, that, that publisher would know that it would be reckless for them to come chasing after one of our clients if we'd already gone to them with an audit methodology. Who was the guy uh, that you you know? This guy, he, I don't think he's in the sound ministry anymore, but he used to work for this. I forget the name of them. Graham Sharp was it? And he brought out this product, right, okay. and it was for less than if you had less than two hundred fifty PCs. You bought this box, and it included a SAM tool plus immunity, like a legal immunity from fines, as long as you followed the methodology. And I think it 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 was far too early, so it sort of uh, it didn't go anywhere. But there's there's the potential for partners to advertise themselves as a shield of steel here, isn't there? To say, look, Microsoft are given the guidelines. We'll help you execute as long as you do what we say. We won't guarantee that you won't be audited, but we'll give you a pretty high degree of um, assurance that you've got the risk covered to a high degree. And yeah. I would have thought that Microsoft or any other vendor is going to say, uh, if that company has got a managed service to an agreed level of quality, 
we've got other fish to fry in terms of going to talk, to go and talk to people and let's go and find somebody else to go and talk to. Yeah, I, I remember Graham very well, actually. I worked for him for, for a short period um, and, and I think he was in the industry between long before you and I. I don't remember the product, though. Um, so, but yeah, you're right. If if he did have that product, he he would have um, he would have been well well ahead of, of the industry. I think ultimately what we have to look at here is this, and we're very careful with our clients to talk about uh, responsibility and accountability because they're clearly two different things. And we can work on behalf of an organisation. We can have a very structured approach to what we do, and you know. We've been in this industry for a very long time. We understand publisher behavior. Um, but ultimately, it's the client's risk that they have to either accept or, or manage out. And if you are dealing with some fairly, I mean, there's some fairly substantial um, remedies for software publishers uh, on the um, Copyright Act. And also some fairly substantial fines that can be applied. So as, as a supplier, you have to be careful. You can't say, well, our insurance policy covers you for your organization because you know, we could have done a, a review on you and we could have a position, but it's a static position. And the very next day, you could have someone that could go, on, go online and, and deploy a whole bunch of software. Uh, and we can't be responsible for that. And so I think there has to be this, this acceptance that an organization, if, if, if they are purchasing the software on their own behalf, they have the responsibility for that, or it's rather the, the accountability. So um, it's good that there are organizations that can, uh, or suppliers that can help end users um, in this space, but you, we also have a responsibility to make, make it clear to our clients that there is no such thing as a, a cast iron insurance policy or, or a shield against a software publisher. And actually, we welcome the conversation between end user and software publisher um, because it means that you have a much tighter understanding of, of what they're doing and, and where they're trying to go from their T's and C's and then vice versa as well. You just really have to understand what you've got in terms of software. And you, know, you and I both know that's, that's where the difficulty lies. My only fear with all of this is that they don't disseminate the information enough outside the partner community because Microsoft, that's a classic move for them. They'll educate their partners but not the customers and expect everything to trickle down. So it would be great if they were to say, this is what we're looking for in terms of quality and license clarity. Uh, you can do it yourself or here's a load of partners that we've blessed to do it for you because you can't be bothered to do it yourself. Um, and most people will go the partner route, but there ought to be that clarity that says, this is how you do it if you want to do it yourself, I think, personally. Well, I absolutely agree with you. So there should be somewhere on that website that says, right, so here's our application portfolio. If you are using this software in this way, in this way, in this way, this is how you should be reviewing it. Here are the scoping checks for how you should perform this audit. This is how often you should do it. And, and here are some sense checks that you should be looking at. Here are some typical potholes for you that should be published on 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 each publisher's um, website but it's not it should be but it isn't um why i don't know um the, the point you make around the, i mean microsoft and other publishers have always worked through the channel um i guess the issue that you have with with placing sam in the, the channel and i'll have to be very careful what i say here but if you if you ask an individual or an organization to maximize their sales and their profits, but then also apply a level of governance and risk management 
uh, and compliance activity on that same uh, product that you're trying to sell. It's like mixing oil and water. So, you know, potentially what you've seen over the past 10 years is, is the retail community having to do software asset management, encouraged to do software asset management by publishers. So you have account teams that are there, to, they've got to sell, they have targets to hit, but then there's someone else that's saying, hold on, we've got to do a compliance review. And sometimes the two don't always mix. No. That's my personal opinion. Uh, not everyone will follow that, but um, you know, we've, we've seen it firsthand. So before I come on to Sam Century, which I'm very keen to pick your brains about, um, can I just um, ask you about some recent news? So uh, I know that you've seen the Diageo 60 million fine, and then AB InBev, which is the brewer that makes Budweiser and Stella, have put in their um, public statements to the stock exchange that they face a potential fine of $600 million dollars for SAP in direct access that came out this week. What's your view on this um, on this craziness? And it is craziness, isn't it? Um, so we, I, two years ago, we got involved in some some indirect or multi-directional data flows, which cause issues between different publishers. Um, so here, here, here's my really simplistic way of looking at it. And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. It's just what we see in, 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 in the real world. So the minute you decide to go and buy software, you're almost entering into a mini state whereby the organization that you buy the product from gets to write the law. Uh, it gets to police the law or how its software is used. And then it gets to be the judge. It gets to make the final decision on what it thinks you might or might not owe them. So you're in a mini state with very little control uh, as far as terms and conditions are concerned. Um, yes, potentially that, that number that you mentioned there is a ridiculous number. And I would suggest that it probably gets tested very strongly between publisher and end user. Uh, in the form of mediation, and that will be some some um, some pretty serious lawyers, IP lawyers or intellectual property lawyers, sitting down, looking at this, and coming to some form of a deal. But the, the ultimate reality of the situation is, is it's a leverage for software publishers to potentially create a discussion around generating revenue. So whether you like it or not, it's just the way the software industry runs. And that idea of writing the law, policing the law, being the judge and jury, that's just the world that we find ourselves in. And, and I remember being from 20 years younger at fast conferences um, saying to end users, you know, your backs are literally against the wall in this space. There's, there's no one detailing exactly what you should do and how you should do it. Going back to um, audit methodology, you've just got to make sure that you understand this. Um, so that you're almost one step ahead, <clears throat> excuse me, of how the software publishers um, may want to talk to you about how you're using their software. But I just I concur with you. It's it's borderline craziness. I think there is there's a, there's the you know people trying to hit target and sales and generating revenue. But you're right. It's it's almost a uh, SAP saying we don't want you to go and play with other tools. We want you to stay with us, and we're going to make it painful for you to explore these other things so that you stay with us uh you know it's it's a 
they don't want people building cheaper things using Salesforce and, and other systems. They want people to stick with SAP, don't they? Well, yeah, and, and you know, you're right. Um, very eloquently put, it's you know, it's it's all about the lock-in um, because you don't want your customer to to um, to have a, a, a multi-layered stack of applications where if something you know if they're not happy with one app, they can take it out and put it put something else in, and it's almost like a utility stack of applications. Yeah, that's what an end user would really like, but that's not what a publisher wants. So potentially, yeah, you're right. You have these scenarios where they're, it, it's made uncomfortable for an end user um, to move somewhere else um, with those kind of numbers that we've just uh, mentioned. So you've been in the SAM industry since the beginning of time when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and you've got lots of experience at the rock face, and you've applied this Steve, to uh, a new product that you're bringing out, which which I'm excited to talk about because it's a next generation or next level above SAM tools. And I think it's it's, it's important to mention that it, it's a SAM technology, but it's not a SAM tool in the traditional sense because we don't want people like rolling their eyes thinking, here we go, here's another imagery tool. Um, can you describe what you're doing and, and, and where that came from? Yeah, yes. Okay, so... Uh, in a nutshell, the, the, the best way to talk about the products and, and, and how it could help someone uh, or a SAM manager or, or an organization is, let's take SAM as an iceberg, okay? When you look at an iceberg, you're looking at the top. Uh, that will uh, typically be audit data, discovery data, licensing information data that's potentially, if you're very lucky, reconciled so that you have uh, a licensing position okay so that's what we typically see massively important if, if you don't have discovery data that's automated at some point or a licensing tool then it's going to be very difficult for you if you're over a certain size so that that's the first thing i say underneath that iceberg there's a whole bunch of activity there's Policies, processes, life cycle, bring your own device, applications being bought out, moved out by other organizations, uh, discovery um, issues with coverage, data sets not particularly working. There's another view, another set of activities, root cause issues that are going on in, that, in, in an organization that typically a SAM manager kind of knows they're there but doesn't have the ability to really pinpoint them and then say to the executive or senior management, okay, so here's the top of the iceberg, but actually let me just give you the context of that license and reconciliation information. So you can see the, the numbers, but let's just put some context to those numbers. And I'm gonna show you where we have an issue around business continuity, around the installation or deployment of software and how that information isn't feeding back into an automated source of truth from discovery. Let's look at supply or contract management and, and where there might be a disconnect in terms of the terminology that we might use. That's been missing for a long time. And the work that we've done over the past five or six years globally has allowed us to collect some pretty serious statistics around what organizations do and don't do coupled with our process activity, um, we've created a tool that um, I feel when you put next to discovery and licensing information is probably going to give you a very powerful position. 
in terms of your your SAM view and how best to um, approach software asset management in your organization. So what is it? What, what? Good question. <laughs> Good question. I was just thinking as I was going through that, you're still going to say to me, what is it? Right, so <laughs> it's, it's, an, it, it's an assessment tool. So you, you get to perform an assessment. There's 400 questions, 200 of them are weighted. At the end of that assessment, you get a, a position next to best practice. Uh, we use some of the principles of, of ITIL, SAM V3. We then also have a number of industry sector statistics that you can align yourself next to. From there, it's a management tool with a dashboard that allows you to say, right, so this is our current state based on the assessment that we've done. And we're now able to follow a bunch of recommendations that have timelines associated with them. We can set tasks for ourselves and for various departments that touch or manage software where we maybe need to get them to um, perform or update a policy or process. Um, and then we will follow our progress over 6, 12, 18, 24, 36 months. And the product will take a time stamp, a live feed from the processes that we update and we change as we go along. So you kind of get, I mean, in basic terms, you, when you first do the review, you get red and orange flashing at you. And as you then move through the recommendations, it updates it in a live automated fashion where you can kind of see it slowly going from red to amber to green. Now, for us and our clients, it gives you, if you're a small organization, it gives you great direction and great focus and very specific recommendations because an assessment is great, but it's very static. It's based on 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 industry standards that are a bit dated. And what we're trying to do with assessment is, is for the small organizations, allow them to have a very focused and direct approach to SAM. For the larger organizations, it's there as more of a collaboration tool. So if you've got a SAM manager that's been in the business for five or 10 years, he or she should be able to use it, but then collaborate across various business units or countries or subsidiaries to get the work done in a nice, neat, tidy fashion. And then, report back to the executive with some graphical interfaces, or potentially, as we've seen, um, document your audit methodology in there and show it to your software publisher. So the next time they come to review you, you can say, well, actually, hold on, look, you know, let's take a look at our audit methodology and what we're doing here. And we can see in some century that it's all very well under control. Can I use an example for, for, for what I've seen, Steve? Um, because because yes. a SAM a traditional SAM tool is very much like a workbench or a ledger, and we'll take inventory and discovery and we'll take purchase information and and increasingly these days you often probably have to take five to six other data sources as well and then you basically you're trying to make you're trying to get to a balance aren't you to say green light red light you know what what's my status and what we're not seeing enough in SAM tools and which what I like about what you're beginning to offer is you're looking at the root causes about why you got to that place in the first place. So I think one of the examples you showed me was if you've got Oracle in your state, then have you got chain control around deployment of new databases? Have you got administrators using um, you know, options and packs willy-nilly at their own leisure? And some of the things that are going to create a negative balance in your sound tool, but you're not necessarily going to know about or be able to think about in that context, are you? That's, that's what I like about this. You're, you're taking things to the next level. Yeah. So I, one of the things that we experience, I think we've done over the past five, five or six years, over I, it's ridiculous, 900 reviews, both small and large, 
Um, one, one thing that's always stuck out when we've done our reviews is this contextual understanding of what the discovery and licensing information actually means. So throughout this conversation, we've talked about uh, virtualization, void, IoT, indirect usage. Uh, and IoT, actually, we haven't spoken about a great deal, but IoT is creating multiple areas of risk for organizations. Yes, you're going to get shared data. You can put a sensor on a widget that you wouldn't have done before. But guess what? That creates data, multi-directional data that jumps across various publishers' applications. With that comes a risk. So Sam Century is about ensuring that you understand how your business is using software, how it purchases, how it consumes, and the very specific scenarios around Microsoft, Oracle, and IBM. I'm, I'm using those as an example. But it's those situations around indirect usage that you have to document somewhere so that when you see the results in, in discovery and licensing um, view dashboard, they make sense to you because you've got some contextual information. And this is what's missing. It, it, it's traditionally not been a massive issue, but as we've grown out of the one-to-one -one or one-to-many licensing and, and into this really gray, gray area, especially with indirect um, usage, there is an absolute requirement for SAM managers or IT managers or IT teams to really understand their, their own estate and the various relationships between software, hardware, people, and data. And this is where Sam Century tries to shine a light or a specific focus and, and push organizations to go and look at those areas and lift the lid rather than just trusting the discovery and the licensing information. I think the um, one benefit of this AB InBev fine, the 600 million, is um, yes, they won't, it won't go to, it won't settle at 600 million, but it's, no matter what they settle at, it's still going to be enormous. And to put, I put it in context, the the budget for the the software budget, software maintenance budget for AB InBev was is 140 million a year, and that finds 600 million. So even if they negotiate it right down, they're still getting a good, you know, um, they're getting a good spanking, aren't they? They're getting a, it's, it's it's a it's a very big reminder to people about all this indirect access and what they're actually doing and what they're building, isn't it? I think spanking is a very good term, Martin. Um, <laughs> but I definitely haven't seen it in ITIL V3 or the ITIL. <laughs> but it's, 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 but, it's yep, almost alarmist. It's alarmist, isn't it? It's to say, look, this is what you're building here, guys. This is other people's IP. You haven't clarified it in, yeah. the, in the user license. Uh, and we had a barrister on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago who said basically user licensing is leaving yourself exposed to this stuff because it's not been defined yeah. uh, and you're, you're going to get yeah. hammered if you're not going to manage it properly. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I, I do agree with you, joking aside. Um, for me, I, I'm, I'm also concerned with, well, we're very interested in, in, in IoT because it brings a, a new facet of, of asset management and typically assets that wouldn't have been in IT's realm are now starting to move across the line and, and IT are getting given shares with widgets on that have got data that's coming back to a central place. That's another conversation for another day. But the point behind that is there's a very serious licensing question mark that sits in this area and we're moving at such a speed towards cloud and IoT and some really cool things in the technology space 
But from a licensing perspective, there are going to be some really dangerous scenarios. You know, going back to that analogy of of a publisher having its own mini state of, of you know writing writing its law, policing, and then judging being the jury. That's not going to change, and and that will never change because in in our society, an IP holder is 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 given the the cards, if you like, the cards are stacked in their favour because. Uh, Again, probably moving more into sociology than anything else. If if you want to create a, a, a free state where people can be entrepreneurial and create create software or or something that has IP in it, they have to be protected, and and that's where the software publisher fits in. It's just that it's unfortunate that software is easy to deploy and hard to track. That's that's our ultimate problem. So there's there's definitely more to explore here, Steve. We'll definitely have to invite you back to cover some of these topics in a bit more depth. Uh, in the meantime, how can people find out more about Sam Century and, and learn about what you're doing? Uh, well, we go live. Uh, we were coming out to pilot in four or five weeks, but I think that's been brought forward. Um, so I think we go live in a couple of weeks. So uh, I think it's around the 1st of June we launch everything. But you may, if you want, you can go onto our website and um, just check out the Sam Century page and there'll be more information on it there. Your, or contact the office and we can... Your website is? Uh, infraware.co.uk Perfect. Okay. Steve Davison, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Um, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Awesome what you're doing with Sam Century. Look forward to seeing it blossom, which I'm sure it will. Thank you. Appreciate and uh, probably be good maybe to get you back on the podcast in a couple of months' time after your launch to see uh, how things are going yeah absolutely definitely i look forward to it perfect thank you steve join us at our annual conferences in london florida and sydney to learn everything you need to know about item in the cloud era for more details head to itassetmanagement.net forward slash events